You're listening to the Badass Lady Folk, and I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. Dear listeners, today's wonderful guest is India Sakira, an actress, a director, a podcast, or I guess I should say audio theater producer, uh, a true talent, and somebody that I met at The White Blacks, a play by Melanie Gaudreau at Theatre for the New City. And we have been fortunate enough to collaborate a few times, several times since then. And I'm just so happy to have India here. Hi, India. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yay! Yeah, you know, with all the scheduling back and forth, it's always so thrilling to actually sit down with the other person. Listeners, we are on Zoom this time. We're not in person, but even just seeing India's bright smiling face over Zoom is a joy. All right. So India, I wanted to ask you just how you got into theater and what it is you love about it. Oh, that's I could spend hours talking about that but I think essentially my love of theater started very young um I loved performing ever since I could remember um at my preschool graduation we had superlatives and mine was most likely to become a Broadway star so you know yeah which was ironic because like in general I think I was a fairly shy child um I didn't like strangers I I I didn't necessarily put myself out there in kind of normal day-to-day situations, but with friends, I always wanted to play, you know, and, and use my imagination and create scenes and, and create dances to songs that I liked, you know, on the radio or whatever. So yeah, ever since I was a kid and also I was a huge musical fan. Um, when I was a kid, I basically all I watched was musicals. Um, my favorites were probably, well, anything Rodgers and Hammerstein I loved because I had like a box set of VHSs that were like, it was The Sound of Music, The King and I, what else? Um, Skate Fair, Oklahoma, Carousel, and South Pacific. And I would just watch them on rotation. I also loved The Music Man. I loved Annie. I loved My Fair Lady. I loved West Side Story. So... Yeah, and then once I got into, like, elementary school, my favorite time of the year was when we put on the little plays. You know, our classes would, like, perform for the whole school, and that was my favorite, favorite thing. I always loved to sing. What was your Um, first play that you remember? I guess it was, I'm pretty sure I, I was in first grade. It was just a school play. And we, we did a play about the seasons, and so they divided us up into the four seasons. I remember I was winter. And we each had our own like color scheme. And so I wore like pink mittens and I think I may have had like a pink hat or something and a pink collar. Like the, 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 I guess like PTA members or like parent volunteers made these costumes by hand. Wow. And yeah. And like, I still had mine for years. Like I think up until high school, when I I moved out of the house I grew up in, I still had that costume. Um, And I have photos from it too. But yeah, that was the first time I think I remember like being on a stage, even though it was just my school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds precious. So were your parents the ones introducing you to these musicals or was it a teacher, someone else? No, it was my grandma, uh, my babcha, my Polish grandma. So my babcha, she... 
she got me all these tapes, you know, I guess she, she was a fan of theater and, and musicals and singers. So she was the one that like got me into it and, and she would watch them with me, like Mary Poppins, like everything she would, she would buy for me on tape. And my parents, you know, they liked those musicals too. Um, but neither of them have much musical talent. They're not theater people. They're not performing people. Um, they enjoy entertainment, but definitely from the audience side. So I don't, I truly don't know where I got my sister and I, I think we're both just natural performers. I don't know where we got it from. <laughs> it's a mystery. What field are your parents in? Um, my mom always was in journalism. Um, at the time I was born, um, I'm trying to remember what, what job did she have at the time I was for a while, for I think 13, 14 years, she worked at People Magazine as a reporter. Um, that was like through most of my childhood. And then my dad always did um, software engineering. So two very different career paths and two very different career paths that are not in any way similar to mine. Yeah, but dear listeners, you should definitely check out India's social media. Like you are a photo and graphic design maven, I would say for someone who, especially for someone who didn't, correct me if I'm wrong, study visual art or design, uh, at least formally, you have such an eye. And I wonder if your mom being in journalism, like exposed you to certain things, or if it was just you like looking at posters and these VHS and DVD covers or what? But I'm really, I mean, obviously, I'm aware of your talent and your stage presence, but I'm also deeply impressed by your design skills. That's so interesting. I never thought about it or questioned it, but I think you might be onto something because when I, yeah, like when, when my mom was at People Magazine again for most of my childhood, she would bring home the magazines and, you know, I would... I would always read People Magazine, even even if I didn't want to read it, I would just look through it. So I'm wondering if that kind of, you know, I also have this memory of me, you know, being maybe seven, eight, nine years old, and I would make these pamphlets for fun. Anybody in my fam family could tell you, like, I would go on pages, you know, which was on Mac computers, and I would put together, like, pamphlets for imaginary companies and print them and give them to my family. And this was like, I did this, like, I don't know, every other month or so, I would come up with, I remember like my friend Nicole and I, we came up with this um, concept for a spa and we would like play spa. And I was like, oh, you know what? We should make like a spa menu of all of our treatments. So I, made it, I printed it out, I gave it to her parents, I gave it to my parents. It was called Nikki and Dia's Spa. So like, that's the kind of thing that I would just do for fun. I was Wait, so did you actually do the treatments for them? No. Okay, so no. it was just about coming up with the menu, like designing, exactly. like, got that's it. That's what was exciting to me. Was just me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did, so, and then when I was, I think, in fourth grade, I say that because I think I may have given a copy to my fourth grade teacher, I made a magazine called Girl Mag. Ooh. And it essentially was it was like pretty much just a copycat of American Girl magazine, but it was like my own version. <laughs> and I would like do photo shoots with my dad's digital camera of like me and my sister. And one of us would be like the cover model. One time it was my cousin 
and I would make these these covers. Um, I wish I still had them, but I would make these covers, print them out, and then I would make like an actual magazine with articles and stuff. Wow. All the articles, I would put in like a crossword, and it was probably like seven or eight pages. It was like nothing, but you know, <laughs> I would staple them on the side so that they opened like a magazine. Yeah, that was definitely like, I think it was eight or nine when I would do that. And I always loved, you know, for school projects, any time we got to do something visual or like make a fun poster or something, those were the ones I got an A on. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I had to make something like visually appealing, that's when, that's when I got the A pluses. Yeah. Well, this show is for and about women and non-binary folks who are kicking buns big and small. And I feel like with Soundscape, you're definitely kicking buns. And there's the design stuff, the design element that I was mentioning to your listeners. You have to listen to the audio stories, but also look at everything that India puts into visually uh, for the marketing and the promotion. We will get back to Soundscape. I promise that will definitely happen. But before that, I came across this Criterion DCOMS project of yours on your website. Could you explain what that is? Because it's also very visual and designy and sort of surprised me. Sure. Um, I did that must have been early, early COVID. I'm thinking probably March or April of 2020. I think I added a few more onto that page. Um, maybe a year or two ago when I just was bored and did one again. But essentially, so I'm a huge classic movie fan and a lot of, you know, sort of, what do they call it? Like remastered or, um, what do they call it? Like um, when they... Um, yeah, remastered. They, yeah, like... Call, or yeah, re-released. Of, yeah, or like re-released um, sort of, I guess, digitized um, versions um, of classic movies are um, distributed through the Criterion Collection. And so, and that's kind of like the fanciest DVD you could buy is like <laughs> a Criterion Collection of whatever films from 30s, 40s, 50s, even 20s. So, and I have a few and there are people that collect those. And so with my, I guess, visual project here is I was like, it would be hilarious if I put... Disney Channel, you know, DCOMs, Disney Channel original movies from my childhood into this format to make it look as if they're older, to make it look like we're looking back 50 years and this is like a re-release. So, and I kind of like also went along with like the style of these Criterion covers that usually go out because the covers really are, you know, art, art forms in themselves. You know, the, the Criterion covers are usually, you know, they look artsy. They almost look like, they look like posters, you know, that you could just put up in your room um and they're almost always different from the original posters from whenever the movies came out so it's kind of like a either a modern take or um very minimalist so i was like i want to do that with like camp rock high school musical the cheetah girls <laughs> and i just thought it'd be funny and i put it on my website because i was like this is a good example of what i like to do yeah it's so creative i love the cheetah girls ones <laughs> Thank you. Those are my favorite. I also adore all the film grain on these because I know the oh, yeah. <laughs> Criterion ones always have that film grain, which makes sense for digital for film movies that have been digitized. But 
Um, none of these, like Halloween Town. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> is my least favorite i remember making that cover and being like i could have i should have gone in a different direction like i, I could i should have taken like a better you know screenshot from the movie or like screen cap and i don't know i think i just chose a photo that was already like on a cover for it or something but my I, uh, yeah my yeah i think the cheetah girls ones the high school musical ones i think are great and then also i love the cowbells one because i think i made the um the title really, really oh cool. yeah um and I think I used a great screen cap there as well. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was just, I was bored. Well, you were bored, sure, but I'm going to give you credit, right? I think everybody, um, but especially women and especially artists and other creative types need that reminder of of your skill and your talent. And that's yeah very original and strange and wonderful project <laughs> all right well moving on to original and wonderful projects back to soundscape tell listeners what is this where can they listen to these audio stories uh how did you like everything the the whole shebang Sure. Okay. <laughs> that was so articulate. Articulate of me, I know. <laughs> All of it. Now. The yeah, full story. Like, where do I start? <laughs> I mean, what was the moment that you're like, I'm going to start an audio theater? I was bored out of my mind on Instagram. It was September 2020. I was just on my personal Instagram. And then I was like, you know what? I'm on GarageBand anyway. I do random audio stuff. That's another thing that originated in my early childhood. I would make songs on GarageBand, which I still have, by the way. And I should probably put those on my website because they're hilarious. Adorable. Little eight, nine, ten-year-old me singing to songs I made with random tracks on GarageBand. Um, I was like, oh, you know, nobody's doing live theater right now. You know, everybody's inside, you know, just binge-watching tiger king and whatever <laughs> i'm gonna like make something of my own that i can share you know and and i can produce things that are like my friend's work or my work or people like me who are in theater who write who direct whatever who want to act but have no acting opportunities right now because we weren't in person at all and everybody was so far away and people had moved back home. So I was like, how can I kind of bring my circle back together while also meeting new people who are like me? And that's where soundscape came about. And so as I was thinking of that, I, I immediately, I made a new Instagram account called soundscape theater. And I, the same day that I made that account is when I made that first post, which said something to the effect of, you know, coming soon, September 2020 or like October 2020 soundscape theater a new audio theater experience I started following a bunch of people that I had followed on my personal account none of them knew it was me I just started following 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 <laughs> following, following, following people to get people to follow back um my sister didn't even know that soundscape theater was me she thought I worked for soundscape theater for at least the first year and a half that well, a year and it. a half at least a year like, your sister thought, thought i was hired by soundscape theater to like work for them and then finally she's like oh that's you like it's you and i'm like it's literally only me so anyway <laughs> i get to work and i think the first 
yeah, the first script I produced was, um, it was a script from um, this person named Dylan, who was a writer on the web series that I was a part of during during quarantine it was called stuck and it was about a bunch of friends in quarantine who chatted over facetime and zoom so like basically the entire show took place over their zoom chats and their um their facetimes which was really fun so dylan was a writer um she wrote um this comedy script um that was completely separate from a web series or something i think she did as a screenplay and then i produced a play that i had written in college that was part of like a playwright exercise um from a class i took and i really liked it and i thought it could be a much longer play but it worked for soundscape um it took place in a car they were driving there was rain so i was like there's a lot of sounds we can work with here um and the rest is history um i it's been rough at some points like there are there are times when i feel a real burnout like i haven't I haven't produced a soundscape play, I think, in about three months, which is maybe the longest stretch that I've gone without publishing a play. I'm not sure. Um, You have done about 30 at this time? Yes, I've done. I've published about, since then, I think about 30 plays. Um, And, yeah, the last one I did was in January. Um, Between that and, like, the the previous one, which I think uh, was part of the Laughscape series, which I do every year. It's a comedy series. Um, There was a lot of time between that. So, and I still have submissions that I've, you know, read recently because at at the beginning of each calendar year, I always ask for submissions. And I still have submissions from January that I've read and responded to and just haven't gotten to cast yet or, or I haven't reached out to a director. And I think it's because, like... I do reach a certain point of burnout with other things that are happening in my life, just due to personal reasons, due to my workload in other places, um, and where my priority is. And I think because Soundscape is something that I run by myself, I make my own deadlines, you know, I make my own whatever. So even if I don't, even if I don't post anything for a year, it's still on me. It's not like anybody else is going to be upset with me, (laughs) so... Mm-hmm. Just on my own time, but yeah, check it out. Soundscapetheater.com. That's theater with an E R, not R E. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm wondering if I can somehow make my plays available on like cool things like Spotify and, and Apple Podcasts and whatever. Because I have, I have no idea how to do that right now. It's SoundCloud and YouTube. We'll talk about it. Make we it happen. Yeah, it. we will talk I'm, about it. I'm scared of copyright. Oh, because you're ripping sounds from all over the place. I'm ripping sounds that, you know, should be royalty-free and everything or copyright-free. But also, I don't think I have the necessary, like, I don't think I have the exact um, permissions to to monetize it. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where I run into, oh, I'll just play it safe and I won't. So I make no money off of it, which is the other thing. And I kind of want to start like a GoFundMe or something because I, the other thing is like, I have paid people. I've never done right. a soundscape play without not, without paying people directly. Yeah. It started off $20, then it was $25. At this point it's $30. I may have to reduce that down, but that was really important to me is like people are, even if it's just two hours, which are, which are all the... Um, all the recording sessions are two hours max. I do that on purpose. Um, I want them to walk away with some kind of money. So, and that, you know, it, it's added up. Right. Um, so. 
Yeah, and it's a common problem that creators run into. Anytime you want to start something yourself, even if it's digital, unfortunately, most platforms cost something. You know, and like you said, you want to pay your collaborators. Um, yeah, it's it's a constant challenge, and I hate it, and it makes me wish that we had more support for the arts in this country. Of course, not like the, I'm the first one to say that, uh, but it's like even with grants, it's such a process, and and there are so many hurdles. Uh, but I hope you keep going with it or at the very least find uh, another, maybe another way to share the stories that you've already done. But yeah, we'll talk about it. Sure. <laughs> what attracts you to a script in general? It might be for soundscape. It might be as an actor, as a director. What when you start reading a script makes you say, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want to make this happen. Ooh, I would say, I think the very first thing is, I mean, this, this applies to anything I read, whether it's a book or anything, but if I, if I can't read something and visualize it, it's just, it's just going right through my head and I'm not absorbing any of it. So, I really like when I can read, whether it's a script or anything, and, or any piece of fiction, essentially. I can see exactly what's happening, um, which is most of the time. It's like, a, it, it's, that's, you know, a normal thing for me. I'm just a visual person, um, and I guess an audio person. But <laughs> I, I think, yeah, if I'm able to, and if I'm able to clearly understand the relationships between characters... Um, in that visualization that's that's really important to me but also yeah I mean is the content do I feel like the content is coming from a place of you know I think sometimes when I read a play I wonder why did this playwright write this and that could be a good or a bad thing like sometimes I'm curious in a good way and then other times I'm like I don't know why this what like and then maybe they have a good answer so I don't know. I I don't know. And there's there's so many different types of plays that I like, so I can't really narrow it down to genre or types of characters or types of anything or the playwright's background or writing style. Like, I can't really narrow it down to that. But if I really feel like the playwright put their heart and soul into this, um, even if it's stupid, like, <laughs> I, I could read something and say, this is stupid, but I know the playwright knows it's stupid. Right. The intention matters. So you went to Sarah Lawrence. Ooh la la. Yes. Yes. And you studied drama, but it also looks like you took courses in literature and French. I'm just going off of your website. So <laughs> I'm just I'm just going off of. <laughs> I have your transcript right here. Uh, it's somewhere on your website. It's somewhere. I'm. <laughs> I would love to hear what your experience at Sarah Lawrence was like and how it shaped you as an actor and a creator. Absolutely. Um, anybody involved in the Sarah Lawrence Theater Department, or just Sarah Lawrence in general, knows that I think it's always, it seems like it's always been, and I hope it still is, a student body that is very interdisciplinary. And that's kind of 
how Sarah Lawrence, you know, that's what they brag about or we brag about. And that's also, I think, what attracts a certain type of people to the school is um, the fact that you really curate your own curriculum. And that was super attractive to me. I, I was like, I, yeah, I don't want to just do theater. I want to do other stuff. I don't want to have a major. At Sarah Lawrence, there are no majors. We don't mm. even have concentrations. Um, I guess our equivalent to a concentration would what would be what we called a third, um, which is essentially at Sarah Lawrence, the structures you take every semester, you take three classes. Um, but if you do something like theater or music or dance, like a performing art, um your third is actually a bunch of classes so essentially what i did all four years or i guess three years um when i wasn't abroad is i took you know two sort of quote academic classes and then my third class would actually be a bunch of classes that i chose to take in the theater department so like my senior year for example i was taking five theater classes and two non-theater classes um and even within the theater department like i was saying before we all i think graduate from that program having to know not just how to act not just how to whatever i think you know i i took stage management i directed i did you know i think it's like the sarah lawrence theater students are very much we want to do everything and we will <laughs> if we don't get to this one thing we're at least going to touch it somehow you know we're going to take a class in you know carpentry or whatever like making building a set we're gonna take a, a class in sound design we're gonna like learn how to operate a light board so and it was pretty small too I mean the the whole campus like the entire Sarah Lawrence campus I think is only it averages about 1500 maybe 1700 like max um it could be different now. Um, but yeah, like, I'm pretty sure less than 2000 students. Um, so yeah, a very tight knit community and very much eager to learn and also very rigorous, but rewarding. Yeah. When you were there, was it still called a women's college or how has have they like navigated gender identity? What were the, I'm sure because of your age, some of those conversations were taking place when you were there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't think anyone's referred to it as a women's college. Well, it's been um what do you call it? Not integrated, but um, it's been sort of quote co-ed. You know, we have oh okay many different many different genders at Santa Lawrence, but it stopped being a specifically women's college. I think in the sixties or seventies. Oh, okay. I must yeah. have been confusing it with some of the others because Sarah Lawrence is a Seven Sisters, right? It is not. Oh, it's not. <gasps> Wrong again. Yeah, it, no, it, you know, I think it may have been at one point. A lot of people think it is, which is understandable, but it has not been a, quote, women's college since, I think, 60-something. Okay, so you had everybody in your classes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow, okay. That that definitely shifts <laughs> my focus a little bit. But I did want to ask you, because I do ask just about everyone on the show when I remember... Do you identify as a feminist, a womanist, something else? And I would love for you to explain your answer. Yeah, I think I'll have to. I mean, 
my instinct is to say I'm absolutely a feminist. I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with womanist. Can you explain like where that term comes from? Yeah. So I have heard, and I'm not an expert on this, uh, that some non-white women feel that feminism isn't inclusive enough of anyone who isn't a white woman and womanism is more about elevating women of color um or or (laughs) non-men um and yeah i mean that that is the general idea that i have heard um i have always felt like sure there are definitely strains within feminism that are very white and upper middle class, um, especially, but my feminism isn't that. (laughs) So I'm curious what your feminism looks like. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think, yeah, I would have to agree. Um, I, I also think, yeah, feminism, I think, or feminist, the word itself can feel like a dirty word sometimes. And I say that because there are, there are feminists out there who, yeah, I think don't align with my values and who, who's, I think version of feminism is not, you know, it's, it's transphobic or it's racist or it's fat phobic. So I think, I think because I, you know, yes, I would call myself a feminist, but at the same time, I, for example, I don't think I would ever walk into a room or introduce myself and say, and I'm a feminist. <laughs> Hi, I'm India. I'm a feminist. <laughs> right, like, I wouldn't, yeah, or, like, if I was, yeah, I don't think I would ever tell someone that I am that. Um, but also, yeah, the whole womanist thing is really interesting, too. Um, I, and I think, I guess, I don't know, I don't know the ways in which I necessarily practice or um what's the word like um not facilitate or emulate feminism like Mm. i I, i'm not sure i'm not sure i can identify the ways in which i support my own theories or my own values yeah yeah Um, well it's hard to live one's truth right and one's values (laughs) and also yeah and there's so much to the experience of being a woman um but yeah do what but do i think that people are doing feminism wrong absolutely um, <laughs> and do i want to be associated with those people no <laughs> well when you mentioned earlier about how some plays don't need to be written or at least you get that impression after reading them or you wonder why on earth did the playwright bother writing this right i was wondering about some of these social and political questions like is that more of what you're referring to versus craft like why is this person from outside of this group writing a play about this are you talking about like just poorly done work I think initially, I, I when I said that, I was thinking of just poorly done work. <laughs> um, and what I mean poorly done is, I, I, like, I don't see any, I, like, I'm not taking anything away 
from it with me when I leave the theater or when I finish reading it, or I'm not saying, Oh, I really enjoyed that after I read or watch it. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that could also apply to, and it has applied to like theater that I've seen where I don't even think certain things are bad, but I leave feeling like, Oh, that did not, um, that didn't affect me in any way or that didn't, um, I'm thinking of a word. I feel like it starts with an R, not ruminate. That didn't, it didn't remin, or not reminisce. Um, it didn't resonate. Resonate. Thank you. Yeah. It didn't resonate with me. And I think, and that's not even to say that like any play that doesn't re- resonate with me is a bad play because I think plays can be for certain audiences and maybe there's something I can, whether it's not, whether or not something is quote meant for me, there are things I can take away from it, but it also, it's kind of a bummer when you walk out of a theater and you're like, nah, I got nothing. Like, I didn't really <laughs> enjoy that. It was boring, or maybe it wasn't boring, but it just was not something that I relate to or can now have an opinion on. And that's how I feel about theater sometimes. Mm-hmm. You shared a beautiful and moving and also funny essay at the Magnet Theater in my boyfriend's show, Aaron Gold's show, You Are Not Alone, which is for dear listeners, for you to know, it is a comedy show about mental health. And something I love about that show is how the different guest uh, monologists like you make something so personal feel a lot more universal so we don't feel that we're alone in depression and anxiety. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the process of writing your essay um, and how anxiety might continue to affect you as a theater maker, especially a younger theater maker in this fun pandemic world of ours. Yeah. Let me think. I think hmm. writing that was really therapeutic for me. I think, and then reading it was very cathartic. I think the whole process of it from, from writing just the first page of the first draft up until actually performing it in front of an audience um, was it was a challenge, but it was also, it was so exciting. Like I f- almost felt like uh, a weight was being lifted off my shoulders by telling this story. And um, essentially like a quick summary of it was I, I wrote an essay that was supposed to be five minutes, but ended up being like, I think eight or nine minutes. Um, it's fine. We loved it. About, <laughs> about several sort of, I guess, episodic anxiety um periods over the course of my life and then most recently um falling into depression after my ex-best friend and I ended our friendship and my partner passing away um this past June so and then I think where I am now I'm in a very good place right now with my mental health but that's also because I started Lexapro in July and (laughs) I felt so much more like myself when I started taking medication and it made me a lot. I don't think it, it didn't like change my personality per se. It didn't change who I am fundamentally, but what it did do is it made me worry a lot less about things that before would really trigger me. 
and I still get triggered, but it's a lot less often, and I think it's a lot less sort of catastrophic. And by catastrophic, I mean, like, I don't see anything in this moment that will trigger me to the point of, like, a long-term depression, whereas before, that was sort of a regular thing in my life where I would be depressed for, I don't know, six months to a year, and then I'd be fine for a year or two, and then I'd go back into a depression, which essentially just felt like me being bothered by something and hyperfixated by something that may have not even been related to me personally. Um, and yeah, and I think some of it was also rooted in trauma, and I think some of it maybe wasn't. I think some of it could have been just me genetically being predisposed to depression. Yeah. Earlier in this show, you talked about musicals being an escape for you as a child and and how you could be shy sometimes like you had your friends. But when it came to meeting new people, it was just tough for you. Um, Could you talk about the I know just personally from the little bit that we've discussed it. Can you talk about the environment that you grew up with uh, in rather and like your early education and how you think these factors led you to make the kind of work that you do today or, or gravitate toward stories that actually mean something? Sure. Um, well, yeah, I... I was, yeah, I was not like other kids when I was a kid. Um, I was, you know, I was sweet. I was a nice kid um, for the most part. Uh, except when it comes to my sister. I was, I bullied my sister a lot. My younger sister. But that's what sisters are for. So, but yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was a sweet kid. Honestly, I, all I wanted to do was just sing and dance. Oh. I was a bully. I was bullied a lot for that. And also I grew up in a predominantly white town. I'm half black, half white. Um, there were, I like, I cannot even name a black kid in my grade growing up, like in elementary school. Um, I can name one from fifth grade who like moved to our town. I think when I, when we were in fifth grade. Oh my god! Um, other than that, like, yeah, it, the town. It was, yeah, it was. I think at least sixty, seventy percent white. Um, definitely mostly non-black. Um, so that was different. Um, I also, like, I think my, my understanding of race was kind of skewed because I never identified as white, but I, yeah, so I, I knew I wasn't white, but then there was no other kind of, I didn't have like, sort of besides my family my black family I didn't have like black friends really um I had a few um so when it came to standardized tests in school and you had to check one of those boxes what would you choose other or okay yeah yeah yes but yeah it was like I, I couldn't relate to being black either because I don't think I was, I just wasn't socialized around black friends or black people my age, except for like my first cousin who's a year and a half younger than me. Um, and then my older, my, you know, my family, like my, my aunt, my grand, my grandparents, 
um, and that extended family on my mom's side. But like, yeah, so that was interesting. I remember like being bullied for being half black sometimes. And that was tough because yeah. it made me feel, it made me feel like, yeah, maybe, maybe I should have been, you know, white or like, I, why can't I just, you know, it must be easy to have two white parents, you know? So that sort of came up a few times. And then there were a lot of other reasons I was bullied that just, I think simply had to do with the fact that I was annoying little singer who would like sing show <laughs> tunes all the time <laughs> in class. And like, <laughs> try to put on shows outside during recess and then like there were a couple other weirdo kids like me you know who we would like be in our imaginary worlds um and then everybody else would kind of just stare at us like what the heck are you doing (laughs) um but i think like the bullying specifically i think that led to a lot of trauma that i only really started to unpack a few years ago because i realized how sensitive i was to exclusion like feeling excluded feeling left out And it's something that I've gotten much, much better with. But specifically in high school and college, I was really sensitive to anything that kind of triggered a bullying memory, even if it wasn't personal to me. Hmm. Like anything that kind of triggered it or made me feel like maybe someone might have left me out of something or... Like um, what? Not getting invited to a party or... yeah, Yeah, like exactly. Like I remember... I have a memory of like sixth grade health class there was a girl at my table like we we all had desks that were like bunched together so there were like five of us in a group and there was a girl who was talking about her bat mitzvah coming up or like planning for her bat mitzvah i think in a year or something and i knew i wasn't going to be invited because i because i wasn't friends with her in the first place i had known her since i think elementary like she and i went to the same elementary school but i was like i'm not invited to you know oh she was pretty popular the other kids at my group were popular so they kind of all related and then after class i just started sobbing like i stayed behind in class i didn't want to leave because i was like if i get up i'm gonna start crying so i just like i sat there teacher came up to me she's very sweet she's like what's wrong you know thankfully she did not have a class afterwards but i just started sobbing i was like she's not gonna invite me to her bat mitzvah i'm so left out and whatever like it just hurts you know and it's funny to look back on now um but that's like a little thing that uh, normally it wouldn't trigger someone but i think because i had you know years of consistent bullying in elementary school that were for a variety of reasons um you know I was bullied just for like being a girl and the boys would like I remember in third grade there were these two boys that would always like they had cleaning duty or something and they would be like oh we have to wipe off the India germs we have to wipe off the India germs like and they would like take extra time to like clean my seat and I was like good like I'll have a clean seat (laughs) (laughs) yeah or just like yeah this other kid told me i was a slave because my mom was black oh jeez! like it was yeah it was so you know just like ignorance but i mean these don't sound like little things i and and just in general i feel that children are not always treated like people and that their concerns and their feelings are not seen as important as important as the feelings and concerns of adults like i cannot stand it when 
people, when adults talk about kids, like whatever's bothering them doesn't matter. Because sure, you didn't get invited to the bat mitzvah. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. But from an early age, you were already feeling excluded and isolated. And that's not okay. Yeah, and I think my friends, up until middle school, I think in middle school, I had a pretty solid friend group. But in elementary school specifically, my friend groups always kind of shifted, like, especially the transition from fourth to fifth grade was so rough for me because at the beginning of fourth grade, I had a solid group of friends who were all in my class. And by the end of the year, like I barely spoke to them because they kind of went off and did their own thing and I was not invited. So, and then fifth grade, I was like, who are my friends going to be? Like, I don't know. These three were my best friends and now they won't, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to be around me. Um, and again, like, I really do think I was a sweet kid. Um, in fifth grade, I ended up, um, finding a new best friend who unfortunately moved before middle school. So barely, yeah, we only really had one year of best friendship, but she and I were very similar. We both loved theater. We both loved show tunes. She went to like theater sleepaway camp, um, and was like a performer and we had our own like imaginary world during recess. Um, it was, it was, and she was so, so sweet. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, she, she moved out because of bullying as well. Like she moved towns because of bullying. Wow. Yeah, yeah. People talk about middle school being rough and I agree it is, but late elementary school is rough for a lot of kids too. And I think especially, uh, with millennials and younger, uh, because, me as a millennial i can say like my generation generation was hypersexualized right and then it's it just keeps getting worse in some ways like these expectations that we grow up faster so things that maybe baby boomers wouldn't have to deal with until they were 13 or definitely things i feel like my generation was dealing with when we were 9 or 10 mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm not surprised to hear about late elementary school drama. It happens. It's not just middle school. <laughs> and certainly not just high school. Yeah, and now I... I yeah, I mean, for, for whatever reason, middle school and high school, I I, I had no bullying at all. I had great friends and, uh, <laughs> that also did, you know, a, a number of online... You know, in a good way, a, a good things for my mental health. You know, I was a lot healthier, like, socially. But I, I, that reminds me, like, I, I wonder these days if now because i remember like middle school sort of late elementary school is when we started talking about you know the cyber we had the cyberbullying assemblies yeah. and like the you know making social media accounts and whatever and like now i'm like that may even start younger nowadays like i'm wondering are are they because i don't think i was very much chronically online when i was in elementary school or even middle school like i wasn't i didn't you know uh, yeah, but now kids are. Media. Yeah, now, now they're, I think, mainly on TikTok, it seems like, and probably Snapchat. I don't know if Snapchat is still, like, a thing, but... It's a thing. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering now, like, are those talks happening even sooner? And, and that's just another avenue for bullying as well. Like, if you have bullies, they're definitely going to use social media as a weapon oh yeah for sure so listeners know that i got divorced last year and i had to find my own apartment um i had a survival job and i was a montessori school teacher for a year 
And I was with middle school every day, but elementary school for visual art once a week. And I am telling you, third graders are using apps and bullying each other and trolling each other. I did want to (laughs) actually keep it on cyberbullying. And I wanted to know if given your your digital presence, your digital projects, if that's something that you've had to deal with, trolls and people, or like even with script submissions for Soundscape, like do people send you hateful scripts? No, fortunately, I don't think I've ever dealt with um, trolls or anything. I think, honestly, the worst thing I deal with managing however many Instagram pages I have is just (laughs) spam, like spam message or spam emails to the Soundscape email um, of, you know, sort of fake people wanting to um, say, like, let me help you revitalize your website. Or, you know, I see that you're... um, making this let me help you sell it you know so <laughs> it's very obviously spam um it's very obviously you know or even just like on instagram you can i feel like i can tell when a profile is fake um just by the way they message me um so yeah but no, as far as like bullying or or specific um like hate i haven't experience that that's wonderful i'm very happy to hear that oh yeah but i i've also got a few years on you india yeah and i (laughs) you know um god and especially when i used to write articles and essays and have them published in major platform on major platforms like cosmo and the huffington post i would get hate email hate comments I won this one award. This was even back in Virginia. This was at the regional level, right? It was this, like, city, like, metro area award. And the metro paper published a story about me. Like, they had top 40 under 40. And my story got so many negative comments on it that the editor said, actually, we don't normally delete comments on the stories, but we're going to delete them off of yours because apparently some people hate you or they're bored or whatever it is. Yeah, no, I've I've dealt with some nonsense. (laughs) That's that's ridiculous. I I truly think, you know, the internet is a blessing and a curse, but I, I really think it is the easiest way for people anybody to really manifest their ego and oh yeah that's well put like i really think the people who are out there trolling and hating and bullying or sending horrible comments or you know racist homophobic whatever it is i really think the internet is unfortunately the easiest way to put it out there and it shouldn't it should not be put out there in the first place um, but I think for people who, whose egos feel like they need to impose on other people's like well-being and like just ruin everything, <laughs> that's it's. I think I think that's why the internet is such a hub for for all this like stupidity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's not even per like it's not even personal, but it sucks. Like, yes. Yeah. Everybody's yes, allowed it to does. feel bad when they're when they're bullied. But I also have to be like they 
you have to remind yourself like they don't know you and it has to it it only has to do with them yeah that's a good point take that to heart listeners okay (laughs) i want to know how you feel about theater now that the pandemic has calmed down and now that virtually everything that was going to reopen has reopened uh do you feel like any of your goals or hopes or dreams or even tastes in the kinds of things you like to watch now have changed um i don't know if my taste has changed i I think i definitely have i've sort of now had the time to now think about what my goals in theater i definitely want to be on stage more um and being in the most recent revival of the white blacks with you reminded me of that the fact that i really feel like my true calling is to be on stage um i love so many aspects of theater and i appreciate all aspects of theater but i really feel at home when i'm on stage so i think i just have to audition more like i really, <laughs> i was doing more i was doing more auditioning during peak covid than i did afterward for some reason maybe because i was bored i had more time i didn't feel as burned out i don't know but I kind of want to get back in the groove of, like, auditioning. I've been taking, like, um, since, I think, fall of 2021, I started taking acting classes again. Those were my first round of acting classes after college. That was a big deal for me. It's still important to me for for me to take acting classes, I think. It gives me um, time to just learn from new perspectives. I love meeting new teachers, and, and it's great to just meet fellow fellow actor learners who, uh, you know, are are either in the same kind of career space or stage as I am or not. Um, It's, it's great to have those people around. And, and in terms of the theater scene in New York, I think it's really been thriving. I've seen a lot of great plays recently. There's a lot of stuff right now that is like closing in the next week or two. And I'm really like, I don't know how I'm going to see all of them, but I really want to. And that might be a lot of money, but like if I have to stand on a rush line or if I have to like be on today, ticks at 8 59 AM and keep pressing a button. Times, <laughs> like I will, I will do that just to see some great art that I, that I've just heard is um, riveting. Okay. My last question for you, if you could play any character, who'd it be? Oh my god, that's a, oh god. Yeah, sorry. Such a, Making you do it. I don't, I think I really don't know. But you know, I think, um, I, there's definitely been characters in the past that I've really enjoyed playing. Maybe I should mention, no, no, I'll pick one that I haven't played, I guess. Um, that's so interesting. Well, okay, I have one for a musical, and then I guess I have one for a play. For a musical since I, and this is very controversial, I think, you know what, maybe I'd rather direct this musical and be in it, but I would love to either be, or I would love to direct a version of Carousel. Ooh. Carousel is one of my favorite musicals. What? And I think, yes, it's very (laughs) controversial, and I would love to play Julie Jordan, because there is, I feel like, an interpretation of the musical where I feel like as a director... I can make things worse for the person who I think needs to suffer the most. And I have not seen that happen in the movie. I've seen it twice on stage, two different productions. And I would like to make this person suffer. 
<laughs> and I think I could do that without changing the text. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. And then for a play, um, I would love to play either Claire or Solange and the Maids by Jean Genet. It's one of my favorite plays. And I saw it at Irondale. Um, oh, nice. In August or September. And I thought that was a great production. It made me, I, I used one of the monologues from that play um, to audition for a, a bunch of different stuff. But yeah. Yay! All right. Thank you so much, India. I appreciate this. I know our dear listeners do as well. You've been listening to the Badass Lady Folk, formerly of Brooklyn, now of everywhere, even though I am still in Brooklyn, still recording in Brooklyn. We have returned to Radio Free Brooklyn. Yay! We're also on Spotify. I don't know why I keep saying we. It's just me. Like, I'm the one who, it's like you with Soundscape, right? Like, it's just me. It's just, I'm doing this. Uh, Yeah, we're on uh, SoundCloud and Apple and uh, Quelbo Magazine, also YouTube, Vimeo, and probably places I'm forgetting. But we air on Radio Free Brooklyn Fridays at 9, usually with a little bit of commentary or music before each episode, depending on the programming slot and what kind of stuff they have programmed before or after. But we are there. Thank you so much, India. Where can listeners find you? Where's the best place? Um, I guess you can go to my website, um, India Marin. That's India, M-A-R-I-N. Dot com um if i get to updating my website but also soundscapetheater.com um i i am working on producing producing something um probably in may um okay and i yeah follow me on instagram india m as in michael s as in sam seven at g uh, that's my email no no that's fine that's fine i will drop everything in the notes for the episode i just like folks saying things out loud when i remember to ask them because not everyone is a visual reader we have different kinds of listeners all right thank you india bye thank you so much you're amazing bye